It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Film lovers, welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at M that's M S O C E Y at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter at Matthew Sosi. The show is available as a podcast, it's also available on iTunes, and we have a blog which someday will be updated at filmsociology.tumblr.com. I have company. He is, he, by the way, I asked him ahead of time. He is not filling in <laughs> for somebody, but he has his own intro. Here it is Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. He's an English guy. He came to fight the Turkish. Okay, Clark, right there. That's what I'm talking about. Lawrence of Arabia doesn't have any lyrics to it. Doesn't have any words. What do you mean doesn't have lyrics? It's music. To it? It's music. Hey, I've seen the movie four times. And there were no words to it. What are you There are no words to that. There are, hey. You, some, did you hear what I was singing earlier? Somewhere I know that somebody, I think, wrote lyrics to this song. Hello there, Mike Perry. Hello, Matthew. Now, besides uh, Mike being one of my regular players, which is always fun, uh, some, and of course, sometimes fate has a way of throwing things in, and we ha- we have lots of dead people we like because we don't have time for dead people we don't like. Yeah. And also, if if there was a TV sociology, Mike Perry would probably host it. <laughs> But his name is not Sosi. But, uh, but yeah, we have a few actors who have passed away recently that we're going to talk about. There's a couple of them that are best known for television. But, of course, I'm fascinated with when they're taking a break from their TV show, what movies were they working on? Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, I, I do want to start with um, – well, there's two films that opened. One was not screened for the press. Surprise, surprise. One is uh, The Thriller Rings. Yes, the latest installment of the Rings. Uh, how, how how much do you really need to screen that? I guess not, and and I don't think Naomi Watts is in it, so I'm I'm really okay. Uh, then we have uh, the Space Between Us, which is the the boy who was born of an astronaut and lives on Mars, and he comes to Earth and he falls in love, and Gary Oldman says he can't, and mm. it's the kid from Hugo, and anyway, that's out there. Gr- sh- Girl meets Martian. <laughs> not Bill Bixby, not Ray Walston. <laughs> No, not even Matt Damon. No, not even Matt Damon, and no, and no sad, incredible Hulk walking music. <laughs> so, old TV reference. Yeah, that's what we do here, especially when Mike's here. Uh, so anyway, that is. I know my my daughter's probably going to want to see this with her high school friends. So there is that. And then uh, opening, however, opening in cinemas this week, and I saw this last week. 
um, a film called The Comedian. And uh, so check this out. You have a cast of Robert De Niro, Leslie Mann, Cloris Leachman, Danny DeVito, Harvey Keitel, Edie Falco, Billy Crystal, Patty Lupone, Charles Grodin, Lois Smith, a slew of comedian t- uh, cameos, the stand-up comics. It's directed by Taylor Hackford, who, who gave us an officer and a gentleman, mm-hmm. among other things, also known in our world as Mr. Helen Mirren. <laughs> Thank you for that big shooter. Way to go, dude. Way to go, dude. And uh, And it's... It also has five screenwriters credited, if I remember correctly, or four, especially and most notably uh, Jeffrey Ross. Oh, yeah. As well as Art Linson. This is a solid cast and crew if this were 1990. <laughs> but it's not. Um, De Niro plays an aging comic. He is, uh, I, I should say, Brian, there's some good moments in this. There's some, there's some really good moments in this. As, as a whole, but as a whole, we'll get to that. He he plays an aging comedian. He was one of those comics that starred in a sitcom in the eighties, and as we find out in the film, right out, right out the gate, his stand-up is uh, dirtier than his sitcom works. Think <laughs> Bob Saget, think oh, yeah. Red Fox, think Lawanda Page. If you haven't heard Lawanda Page stand-up, go on YouTube or buy the albums. There, there's something. So. There's that aspect of it, and and he's he's kind of fallen on hard times. He winds up in jail with an incident. So th- you have an aging comic dealing with y- younger audiences being filmed, the internet. So you have uh, maybe twenty twentieth century comedian in twenty first century times. That really hasn't been covered as of yet. Um, the interesting Billy Crystal's in that. Well, Be- well, I'll get to yeah. that. I'll get to that. Um, yeah, and th- yeah, I know where you're going. This is kind of Robert De Niro's Mr. Saturday Night. Yeah. Uh, it does have that feel to it. So there's there's the career aspect, and he has to do some. De Niro's character has to do some community service. So he's wor- working at a soup kitchen, and that's where he meets a volunteer, fellow volunteer, Leslie Mann. Way to go, big shooter. Love Leslie Mann. And she is good. I, I think I like Leslie Mann when she's not working with Judd Apatow. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but, but they develop a little thing. The the relation the the man woman relationship is the least interesting of this film. Um, her father is played by Harvey Keitel, and we'll get to that in a second. And, and it's a comedy, right? Well, sort of. Yeah, as, as, as you know, what this is as much as comedy as Punchline was a comedy. Okay. Uh, yeah, as Funny People was a comedy. Yeah, okay. As you know, what it, there's a lot of films out there about comedians, but that are not necessarily the laugh riots, like Mr. Saturday Night, like the ones I've just mentioned. Lenny, uh, another <laughs> another non-comedy about a comic. Um, Jojo Dancer, Your Life Is Calling. So it, it it's got some darker tones to it. Um, so there's a lot going on, and I think the fact that we have a lot of screenwriters and they all didn't work together, um, if they had just stuck with one aspect of it, I, I think the 21st, the 21st century life with the 20th century comedian, um, the opening scene is really good because it's De Niro having to go to Long Island, and he's doing a he's doing a TV comedian package, and there's cameos by Jimmy Walker. And Brett Butler, <laughs> right? And there's so there's that, and he's doing his stand up, and of course they want him to do the catchphrase, which he doesn't want to do from his TV past. And there's a bridal shower right up front, so it captures that. And as you're watching the scene, it's like, oh, Jeff Ross wrote this. Um, it really captures that 
sadness of having to play to a not even not even close to a full house. Mm-hmm. Um, his his manager, who is the daughter of his old manager, is played by Edie Falco. So she's got the Hel- Helen Hunt role in this one. <laughs> um, there's also as and as he's he's trying to make the best out of his career after spending time in jail, dealing with the cable channel. It's oh, it could be a number of cable channels that are uncensored. You can pick which one it is. There's that. There's also a couple of fun moments in the Friars Club. Charles Grodin. That's where Charles Grodin shows <laughs> up. There's one scene with De Niro's character and Billy Crystal playing himself in an elevator. That's it. So there's a and and they wind up having to do a roast for um, uh, an aging actress played by Cloris Leachman and that, that and Ross I believe is a member of the Friars and and I think they could have delved into that a little more because there is there's some nice tension between older comics and you kind of the thing that's brought up a few times is where do you draw the line um, comics have their own set of rules and values. And we've, we, you know, it, it's brought up a little bit in the in the documentary, The Aristocrats, um, and I thought that could have been pursued a little more. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it it just not enough, not enough for my taste. And there's there's animosity between De Niro and another aging comic played by Charles Grodin. The other part, and I, I mentioned earlier, this has been great in 1990. When you're thinking of other films, because there's some mini reunions here. There's De Niro and Crystal, De Niro and Keitel, De Niro mm-hmm. and Grodin. And if you're and and you know, De Niro already did a film where he tried to be a comic in in The King of Comedy, the under underrated Martin Scorsese film. If you're thinking about all those films and not this, that's a problem. If you're thinking about if you're thinking about analyze this and Midnight Run and the scenes with him and Keitel, you're thinking about Taxi Driver or Mean Streets or even to a lesser degree Copland when they had one scene together. That that's kind of a problem. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what '90s sitcom could have had Robert De Niro as a star. Well, he's I think it's a, it's like it looks like a Kevin James type sitcom mm. uh, or a Mike and Molly type sitcom. And and then there's scenes where he's down in Florida because he wants to see Leslie Mann's character, and he winds up doing an impromptu stand up at a at a retirement home that Keitel's character owns. There's also the uh, signing forced to do a uh, forced to do a convention like a comic convention. Yeah. So I mean, there's that, and, and it was funny watching the the uh, the press screening of this last week. I, I it was Ed Johnsonot and myself, and Ed Johnsonot. I if you you have to read his review, but he referred to De Niro's stand up work as atrocious. It's <laughs> and I kept thinking. Uh, well, I, he, yes, it, it was sort of reminiscent of King of Comedy because Rupert Pupkin was not supposed to be funny. It was supposed to be painful, but he's on TV, therefore he must be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they probably could have gone with that a little more. But there's 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 a lot here, and I wish it could have been a little more focused. Uh, I remember I remember watching the film, and and we have the uh, the screener representative ask us right out the gate what we think, and I remember saying at that time decent, and I think it's dipped down a little bit since I've thought about. Uh, that film in in the week's time just so slightly indecent or what what does <laughs> wow. that mean it's it's okay <laughs> it's okay i i wish it had been better obviously um that being said it's still not dirty grandpa okay it's it's, it's better than that um <laughs> well it would almost have to be it, it would almost have to be and i i think yeah yeah de niro's one of those i and he almost got it with silver linings playbook and i know he got a nomination for that i'd like one more home run from him 
just one or or a stand up triple. You know, work work with Scorsese once more, and and I would feel slightly better. But uh, but, but yeah, Ed Ed and I were talking before the screen. He goes, "This is a January release," and I said, ah, "But it but it's got a cast and crew that it doesn't feel like a January release." It, it and it's kind of you know, sort of. Let's say if it's still in the conversation, come October. Yeah. Oh, also, by and I love cinematic gene pools. There's also a couple scenes with uh, with his brother, played by Danny DeVito, mm-hmm. and his wife, DeVito's wife, who hates his, uh, who hates the brother. Uh, Danny DeVito in this film is married to Patty Lupone. <laughs> and then there's a bit where they have a daughter mm-hmm. who's going to have a same sex marriage, and De Niro winds up doing at, at his niece's request, wind up doing some uh, stand up at the reception. And right, right. If you think. Yeah. He's making Mike Mike Perry's making a hand going down motion, and yeah, if you think the uh, the the best man speech is bad at a wedding, try your uncle doing stand up. So, uh, oh I, man, I wish I wish it were more. <laughs> I wish it were more focused and 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 better. So that that's kind of a bummer, but yeah, but it's I guess compared to what De Niro's been doing lately, it's 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 sort of a step up. Yep. Okay. Um, so that's out there. You can go check. And of course, there's a slew of Oscar nominated films because it is that time of season. Mike Perry, how are you on your Oscar checklist? Well, I'm down to just uh, uh, having to see two to, to fill out the list. Of I, the I, nine Best Picture nominees? Yes. I, I, we, we saw Lion last week, uh, and we saw uh, uh, Hidden Figures. I almost, I almost said Hidden Fences. <sighs> Careful, Michael Keaton. <laughs> Damn you, Jenna Bush. By the way, yeah. and, and also, Mike Perry, not a racist. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, love them both, so we're looking forward to, to uh, seeing the uh, the actors uh, film, the, uh, uh, the fences, the, the – what word am I looking the, – the acting class. That there you would go. Be, That's like uh, – Fences. And, uh, and then uh, we've heard so many good things about Moonlight. We're going to check that out. Not together. Don't, no. don't don't yeah not no matter which one you see first or second it doesn't matter don't don't make that a, a double feature, but it's going to be hard to to pick out a winner this year I think I mean everyone's dubbing La La Land now and and I I, I liked it we 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 went to see it a few weeks ago we we liked it, but you didn't love it you're, you're I, I didn't those. love it I didn't love it I mean yes I I, I identified so much with that SNL sketch the other, the other okay day. and of course I I think I I. Am with the cops on this one. I, it, it was it was my top film of the year, but I, I uh, it it does not feel from an Oscar. It does not feel like the slam dunk. It doesn't yeah. feel like Titanic. Um, it, it didn't really for me. It didn't I live would, up to the promise of the opening scene. Oh, that's hard. Yeah, I, I don't mean it to necessarily be hard. I mean it. It, it's a nice film. We we. I'm not a big musicals fan, but as far as musicals go, I, I enjoyed it. But best picture, not with the other movies that are out there. What would what would your vote be? Just for the way I felt leaving the theater. Yes. Um, I, I'd, I'd lean towards uh, uh, Manhattan by the Sea if I had a Manchester. Boat. Manchester, yeah. Sorry. Different. <laughs> And, and again, that's we'll, my... we'll, 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 we'll fix that after he fixes, you know, hidden fences. Oh, I'm not fixing this. <laughs> See, this is this is happening, folks. This is radio yeah. verite. Yeah, Manchester was my number two, um, and it's 
yeah, it's it's a gut punch, and yeah. it's um, I, I really really enjoyed it. But I think I just I think I got the polar opposite. While I had a kick to the chest with Manchester by the Sea, I think the joy I got out of watching La La Land was on was on the other side of that fence. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's a fair argument. Right. That's a fair argument. So that's so there's your two. Um, we were we were talking off air. Yes, I'm the old curmudgeon that there should still be just five nominees, and because it, it feels a little bit like you know everyone gets a trophy in the juice cup sort of thing. Well, they call it the the Dark Knight rule, but you, you really haven't opened up much room for the for the blockbusters to get into Best Picture since they expanded the field. Yeah, I'm looking at these. Yeah, I mean they're doing well, but yeah, it's not it's not ridiculous Dark Knight numbers. But yeah, I, I think if my five if I had five, you know, for me the five if you know, this was 15 years ago. La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, Fences, and then Hell or High Water would be the mm-hmm. five. So, yeah. and that's, you know, no disrespect to anybody else. The only one I don't think that should be of the nine is Hacksaw Ridge. I think I think Silent should take that film's place. Um, you know, I, I really liked everything else, but I don't, I don't think it's necessarily best picture material. Yeah. I, it, basically, I think what they've done ultimately is... Uh, when they expanded the field, is give more hope to independent films than than they had before, but they've also kind of diluted the talent pool a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, sometime we can go through the list of films that really have no business being best picture material. Did you think Lion was best picture material? No, but but I, I but I'm a, I, I was a big fan of the of the performances in it. Right. And we we talk now. Dev Patel is in the Meryl Streep class. How does members. how does it happen that he's not nominated for Best Actor? Why is he Best Supporting Actor in a movie that he clearly puts on his back and carries for the second half? Yeah. So if he were to win, he would have to acknowledge the kid. It's kind of like Daniel Day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lewis. It's yeah. like Daniel Day Lewis in My Left Foot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he he and he did. He did. Day Day Lewis gave props to the uh, to the young actor that played young Christy Brown. So, and of course, I said. Of the five best actor nominees, who would you replace? You had you answered without any hesitation. <laughs> Ryan Gosling, right? Uh, I mean, yes, it, I enjoyed his performance. Don't get me wrong, but good. Not I, 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 I don't think it was a reach for him. Um, and the singing and dancing and piano playing. <laughs> as far as character development, okay. what, what, what I consider elements in in a best actor. Uh, I I would put the Patel in there before Ryan Gosling okay. this year. If if I had to, I would. I still think Andrew Garfield is this year's Kate Winslet, where he's nominated but for the wrong film. I would have nominated Garfield for Silence um, instead of Hacksaw Ridge. Therefore, I guess if 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 I were, and I don't, I, it's good. I don't think it's a it's a best actor worthy performance. So there's there's that. But uh, anyway, so that's cool. So those are the of the two. Best Picture nominees. You still got those two. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you need to catch up on? Well, uh, I, I do want to check out the uh, the short subjects when they come to the Keystone Art. That is, believe, I believe, next week. Yeah. I believe next weekend, a week from this weekend. Yeah. So anyway, that that is happening there. Okay. Um, let's move over to IU Cinema. Again, when I give you the, the IU Cinema dates and the Art Craft Theater dates, it all depends, of course, on when you're listening to the show. <laughs> if you are listening Saturday mornings at 10, hi, good morning, thank you, we appreciate it. If you're listening Sundays at 2, how was brunch? Yeah. Um, have you picked out your movies yet? And if it's Monday at 10, hi, why are you home? <laughs> 
Haven't you picked anything yet? But that's just how it goes. So that being said, at IU Cinema today, so you have time. You can hop in the car and hightail it safely down the Bloomington at 3 o'clock as a part of the City Lights film series and the Science on Screen film series at 3 o'clock at IU Cinema from 1973, Soylent Green. See, now you've made me hungry. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, Soylent Green omelet. That's for brunch tomorrow. Uh, Yes, yes. So uh, long-time Film Sociology listeners know... Soylent Green has a special place in the heart of this show and in the stomach of this show. Soylent Green and uh, Soylent Green eggs and ham. Oh, thank you, Doctor. That's, that's the uh, bre- breakfast of champions. That's Vonnegut. But uh, yeah, that's anyway. Thank you for I use. See, I love because I use cinema will show you foreign films and they will show you the arty films that you've never heard of. But then they also throw in a Charlton Heston sci-fi cop film. So and also final performance of Edward G. Robinson. Salute. So anyway, that is at at three o'clock. If you're on your way down there, tell Bloomington we said hi and then have an omelet afterwards Um, (laughs) at seven o'clock as a part of the fans of the Indian cinema. The 2015 drama City of Mirrors on Sunday, February 5th at three o'clock, the South Korean drama Punch. And then at 6.30 p.m., the action-adventure drama from earlier from 2016, Mr. Six. Monday, February 6th at 7 p.m., um, the 2005 drama Heading South. Friday, February 9th, as a part of the International Art House Series, the Academy Award-nominated documentary I Am Not Your Negro at 7 o'clock. And then Friday, February 10th at 6.30 p.m., as a part of the other films and guest series, that's what they have it listed there, mm-hmm. and it's and it just came out on Criterion, and I just got I have the Blu-ray of it. I just haven't watched it yet. From 1971, Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller. There you go. Robert Altman's attempt at a western. That's in air quotes with <laughs> Warren Beatty in a fur coat and everyone's favorite cinema madam Julie Christie and music by Leonard Cohen. There you go. There's a date film, and then at 9:30 p.m. on February 10th. Uh, Friday, February 10th, I Am Not Your Negro. Saturday, February 11th, is part of the Staff Select series at 3 o'clock from 1946, Humoresque. And then at 7 p.m., uh, Kabali from 2016. That is all happening at IU Cinema. Over at the Historic Art Craft Theater in Franklin, mark your calendars February 10th and 11th, 2 and 7.30 p.m., The African Queen. Must there see on go. the big screen. Yeah, that's that's fun. Um, Humphrey, Bar- Humphrey Bogart's only Best Actor Award. Um, I'm, I'm directing a play that has Bogart uh, trivia in it a little bit. Oh, so cool. that was fun. And, uh, yes, you get to see, yes, Hepburn and Bogart really work well together. I still wish there was documentary footage of Bogart and John Huston drinking and raising hell back then. <laughs> and Kate not raised. Well, she raises her own different hell. But, anyway, that is happening over at the Art Craft Theater. Um, new on Blu-ray this week. Um We'll get to it in a sec. I'm, yeah, I'm dying. The, the main title I know was uh, the second Jack Reacher film. I think it's called Never Go Back. Or as it kind of feels as you're watching it, Jack Reacher's The Fugitive. Yes. Um, Jack, you know, the, you, you enjoyed the you Yeah, enjoyed the, well, I, I like the Reacher movies. and I, I never read the book, so I'm not burdened by oh, that. Oh, that, that Jack Reacher's five foot three. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't mind that either because, you know, he and I see eye to eye and stuff, <laughs> literally in some cases. But, yeah, this the first one I enjoyed, um, as, I, as I always say, not enough Werner Herzog. 
This film needed Werner Herzog. Um, it, it is a combination of The Fugitive with a little bit of the outlaw Josie Wales. <laughs> Yeah, I know. There's yeah. a, there's a stretch, yeah. but yeah, he is. Yeah, but I can see it. Yeah. He he's accused of bad things, and then he's got to rescue a woman who's also accused of bad things, and they're innocent, and they're on the run, and there's a teenager involved, and and Jack Reacher, who is a loner, now has a parental unit. He has a woman and a teenage girl, mm-hmm. and it's like a family on the run. No, no, it's it's uh the fugitive meets uh, running on empty. There How about go. that? So. Um, it's it's decent. It's not tremendous, and and there's a lot of time that w- he is trying to bond with uh, with his two uh, cohorts. When really we just want to see Tom Cruise whoop and tail. Yep, and he does a fair amount of that in this film. And but it, you know it, it it it's not Mission Impossible good, but you know if if you're just looking for art to flow over you for a couple of hours, and and get some choice uh, you know fight scenes. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what it. That's what yeah. it does. Yeah, that's what it does. Okay, so that is out there on Blu-ray. Uh, Boo, a Madea Halloween. Yeah, because you want to see a Halloween film in January. Oh, I thought you were criticizing it off the top. Ah, okay. no, no. Um, the comedy Masterminds from the director of Napoleon Dynamite that that nobody saw. Mm, they're still around. Even though, uh, even though you have you have a cast of uh, Owen Wilson, Kristen Wiig, Jason Sudeikis, Kate McKinnon, Zach Galifianakis. And uh, it was directed by Jared Hess. So, yeah. anyway, that is out there. Probably we'll get more rentals, I'm guessing. Um, oh, for you PBS fans, Victoria is now out on Blu-ray. Already? Uh, already. Well, you know, well, companion uh, piece. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. We're going through some of the old titles. Thank you to the website who gives me this information. Some of these titles I know you'll remember, Mike Perry. Um, not Okay, Poltergeist is not out on Blu-ray, but the sequels are. <laughs> Does anybody um, need Poltergeist yeah. 2 or 3? I, I saw Porto, Poltergeist 2. In the it, theater? It immediately regretted it. Wow. Um, and never saw Poltergeist 3. That's really okay. Um, yeah. Uh, the Julie Holiday Dean Martin film Bells Are Ringing. Okay. Out there. That's good. Um, the dark horror comedy Parents. <laughs> Randy Quaid and uh, was it Mary Kay Place, I believe. It's either Mary Kay Place or Mary Beth Hurd. I can't remember. Um, you are correct. That's Mary Beth Hurt. My apologies. Sandy Dennis is also in that film, directed by Bob Balaban, one of our favorite that guys. Yep. Uh, Disney's Pinocchio is out on Blu-ray. If you need to have to convert your entire Disney catalog over Bef- before they uh, make the live-action version, they already oh. did that with <laughs> I know. Martin Landau yeah, and I Jonathan know. Taylor Thomas. We have it on beta or VHS, I think. I'm trying to scrub that one out of my brain because wow. Pinocchio just looked creepy. Sadly so, sadly so, and and this that was a starring vehicle for Martin Landau after winning the Oscar for Ed Wood. So hopefully it did well for him there. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, um, I, <laughs> I I I recommend this film with hesitance because there's a certain type of audience that will appreciate this film more than more than others. Um, if you're a longtime film sociology fan, you know I love the films of Ken Russell. The man's a lunatic. And uh, from 1988, The Lair of the White Worm. Um, this is based on the Bram Stoker story. Mm. Guess what? Not really. Not really. It's kind of like you know some of the Edgar Allan Poe films that were done in the 60s. Yeah. It's kind of associated by name. Had, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like The Raven and you sure. hardly ever see a bird. Right. Well, yeah. this is uh, – and this is 1988. So you have – and it has a bunch of up-and-coming young actors. Uh, Amanda Donahue, Donahue, Hugh Grant – 
Um, this was way before Four Weddings and a Funeral. Catherine Oxenberg was probably one of the big mm-hmm. names. Um, Sammy Davis, if you're a fan oh. of Hope or Glory. And a uh, very young Peter Capaldi. Not as young as a local hero, but uh, but yeah, it's it's um, hmm. There's a Scottish archaeologist, and there's a uh, they find ruins of a covenant, and there's nudity because it's Ken Russell, and damsels in distress because it's Ken Russell, and anyway, it's not for everybody, but you might want to, some of you who like Ken Russell, you might want a few cocktails and watch that. Um, yeah, so <laughs> just a few pers- at home. Proceed with caution on uh, on that one. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then when we come back after the break, we have Dead People We Like because we don't have time for Dead People We Don't Like. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. Tombstone from the Svengulli program on MeTV, and I wanted to advise you that you're listening to Film Sociology on WFYI Indianapolis. I flunked sociology, so (laughs) good luck. Welcome back to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosey. Mike Perry's hanging out with me. We have an extended portion of dead people we like because we never have time for dead people we don't like. But we make time for dead people we like. That's right, exactly. So, And there's a few of these that we'll, we'll break down their, their filmography a little bit. And then there's a couple folks who are better known for television, but I'm always interested in what films they uh, contributed to the world. But I, I want to start with uh, French actress Emmanuel Riva, who, if I remember right in some research, was the oldest Academy Award nominee. She was 85 mm. when she did uh, when she was nominated for the French film Amour. And uh, I think that's, as Mike said earlier, um, here we go. Wait a minute, where is, ah, you're, no, you're correct, sir. You're correct. I was wrong. So here, according to, uh, what is this from? A place for mom. Dot com. <laughs> of course they would do this. Here, here are your 15 oldest Oscar nominees. Emmanuel Riva was second. My apologies. You're number one. You had it correct. Gloria. Gloria Stewart was 87 when she was nominated for Titanic. Emmanuel Riva was 85 for Amour. Any guesses who else might be on the list? Is Maggie Smith on the list? Um, No. No, she is not. Give her time. Um, 
We could just do the last half hour like this. Yeah. No, no. Mm. Uh, third, 84-year-old, and actually there's three actors who are 84, but 84-year-old June Squibb. Oh, yeah. As Bruce Stern's wife in Nebraska. Number four, also 84, Robert Duvall for The Judge. Okay. That yeah. last one, the, probably the best highlight of that. Okay, number five for uh, Oscar nominee, but it doesn't necessarily have to be acting, Clint Eastwood. Okay. Best director for American Sniper. Uh, number six, Hal Holbrook was 82 oh. for Into the Wild. Um, number seven, also 82, Max von Sydow. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Oh, yeah. Uh, another yeah, yeah, example yeah. of a film that really should not have been a Best Picture nominee ever. Mm-hmm. Um, number eight, also 82, Christopher Plummer, who won Best Supporting Actor for Beginners. Number nine, also 82, Sir Ralph Richardson for Greystoke. Oh, cool. Yep. Number 10. Wow. This is at age 80, Jessica Tandy for Driving Driving Miss Daisy. Daisy. That's right. Uh, Number 11, also 80, uh, Edith Evans for The Whisperers. Number 12, George Burns was Uh, 80, of course, for. See, he got nominated for The Sunshine Boys. That's right. The Sunshine Boys. Got three more. Uh, At age 79, number 13, Richard Farnsworth. For the straight oh, yeah. story. Yep. Uh, number 14, 79 years old, Judy Dench. Oh, uh, I should have. Uh, Philomena. I should have guessed Judy Dench. And then finally, at number 15, at the age of 77, we mentioned the film earlier, Bruce Dern yeah. for Nebraska. So not that's a bad. Cool. That's not a bad list. No, not that's a pretty bad good at list. All. He's still working there. So, anyway, so my 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 apologies, my correction. Emmanuel Riva's second oldest nominee for Amour, which is a gut punch of a film. Uh, a woman whose health is declining and her husband's trying to maintain, uh, maintain things on his own. Mm. Uh, not, not, but she was best known uh, before that for uh, Hiroshima Mon Amour from nineteen fifty nine, if I remember right. Um, Hold on, I'm clicking on hot clicking action here at Film Sociology. Yeah, 1959, Hiroshima Mon Amour. Um, and, of course, had a f- full, full career in, in French cinema. But uh, but as far as Americans, those are probably the two films you're going to know best. Um, Got to mention John Hurt, who was another guy of, of just, you know, worked and worked yeah. and worked. And, you know... Best became best known in the states. He had two nominations within a span of a couple of years: mm-hmm. Midnight Express and The, the Elephant, Elephant Man. Man. And The Elephant Man is one of those. I know there is a stage version, and it's one of those that obviously stage and screen are different. Um, you know, Equus is an example of that. Yeah. Uh, Warhorse is an example of that. And to and to another degree, The Elephant Man is that. I mean, when when you're doing the stage version, it is just you and your physical, uh, your your physicalities as an actor. And of course, in cinema, we have the makeup, and but it's still an incredible performance. It from, is from it John Hurt. Is. You know, if it were not for De Niro in in Raging Bull, you know, Hurt probably should have had it. But but it was but that's how he got known. So of course, before that, I was like, oh, and he was one of those. He, he's a class that was at that time a classic that guy. Yeah, because you know his first credits go to 1962. He was in English films like The Contact, This Is My Street. I forgot he played Rich in A Man for All Seasons mm-hmm. back in 1966. Um, Ten Rillington Place, was in. he was in that with uh, Richard Attenborough. Um, Pied Piper from 1972, Cry <laughs> of the Penguins. Um, starred with Peter Cushing in The Ghoul from 1975. Um, 
and then had yeah played Quentin Crisp a couple times. Uh, and then, of course, sort of became known in PBS land in 1976 for playing Caligula in I, Claudius. In I, Claudius. Then there's – yeah, then we get into Midnight Express. And and I – and I, of course, I always forget he was one of the voices in Watership Down yeah. and uh, Ralph Bashke's Lord of the Rings. And then just kind of opened it up. We saw him in Heaven's Gate. He, played, of course, played Jesus in History of the World Part 1. <laughs> That's a bit we can't do here. Yeah, no. um, was was Ryan O'Neill's gay cop partner in Partners back when there were gay, you know, really bad gay jokes in the early '80s in cinema? Um, the Osterman Weekend that was uh, DePaul or um, I'm Ryan. sorry, Peckinpah's last yeah. film. Champions, the hit, really really underrated crime drama. Uh, of course, played Winston Smith in the appropriately titled 1984. <laughs> Moving on. Uh. Was one of the vo- he was the Horn King voice in the Black Cauldron? Um, my gosh, from the hips. Spa- okay, and of course, Alien. Yes. Um, we we got to talk about Alien for a second. If, if you don't know, of course, the famous story. I guess it's a uh, cinema's most famous uh, moment of indigestion. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert on a thirty-year-old, forty-year-old <laughs> film. But um, but but the great story behind that was that only John Hurt. And Ridley Scott, the director, knew that moment was going to happen. Ridley did not tell any oh, of the other actors. Did not tell. I Sig- never heard that. Really? Yeah. Did not tell Sigourney Weaver or Tom Skerritt or Yafet Koda or anybody else in that scene that that was going to happen. Now you're going to go racing back to watch it. Yeah. So <laughs> I hope that's true. I mean, it's it's great storytelling nonetheless. But uh, yeah, that that actually happened. So on top of that, because he had worked with Mel Brooks once before. I think one of the great cameos, comedic cameos, and as far as revisiting a bit, is is John Hurt in Spaceballs. <laughs> oh no, not again! Yeah, oh no, probably the best use of that line. Oh no, not again! <laughs> um, and then of course, what happens with the alien in that film? Oh my gosh, Scandal, uh, The Field, King. Re- yeah, he was in King, Re- but it, you know, he's one of those that he was always good, even if the film was right. not. King Ralph being an example. Um, Gosh, constantly. Even cowgirls get the blues. Hellboy. Yeah, we're getting that. Yeah, <clears throat> Rob Roy, Wild Bill, uh, Dead Man. Yeah, uh, Contact. Yes, I'm scrolling through his IMDb. Don't judge. You're not doing it. Um, <laughs> in my house, he was uh, he was the narrator in the Tigger movie. Was believe- he? Yes, he was. Oh. And I forgot about that because I thought I think Hopkins uh, narrated one of those. I believe mm-hmm. I have to I have to check on that. Um, then there was a TV series of Watership Down where he was General Wonderwart. Um, Miranda Do- was the narrator in Dogville to Lars Mon- and, and Mand- Manderley for you fans of Lars von Trier. Um, yeah, the proposition, V for Vendetta. That's my, my daughter got to watch V for Vendetta at the assistance of one of her friends, and that's how she kind of knows John Hurt. But, yeah, it was <laughs> Professor Broom and Hellboy and, uh, and everyone's favorite uh, wand distributor. Yes. For that's another one. So it's it's fun to see new generations discover actors that we've known for different things, and 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 the Harry Potter stuff and Hellboy are great examples of that. Yep. Um, gosh, still working. <laughs> it was just Melancholia. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, uh, Immortals. Again, folks, it didn't matter so long as he was working. Snowpiercer. Um, I I saw a nice. Some nice words about John Hurt from, of all people, 
Dwayne Johnson because they worked together on Hercules in 2014. Oh, man. Right? So, and, and Johnson was talking about, you know, her, how it was, you know, watching her as a professional and, you know, gave him some tips on, on in the business. That, so that, that kind of cracks me up. John Hurt and The Rock. Wow. Well, okay. it's amazing what sword and fantasy <laughs> film, what fantasy and sci-fi films will do. Oh yeah. yeah, and of course we love English actors in sci-fi fantasy because they make all that gobbledygook sound really cool <laughs> yeah, and Shakespearean. Do. So, and probably the last film of note, of course, he played the priest in uh, in Jackie, which is uh, you know with Natalie Portman. So, um, yeah, that that's a hell of a career. He had a good run. Great run, great voice. Was able to, you know, redefine himself a little bit from young guy, young, young eccentric to old coot. Yep. So thank you, John. We appreciate it. Um, I'm going to save one of the big names for a little bit, but I do want to get to a couple of TV actors because that's the other reason why Mike is here. Uh, start. I want to start with Barbara Hale. And she is best known for, of course. Della Street on Perry Mason. You're a big Perry Mason fan. Oh, right? yeah. Growing up, yeah. Uh, when we weren't watching it in its initial run, I do remember seeing it a few times. You know, uh, local stations would run the the heck out of that on you know on weeknights, and I remember you know watching that with my mom or my grandma for for years. Now, if I remember in the original run, only one loss, only one loss, and I think it was in the last episode. Wow! So. Okay, going back to her work in the 1940s, a lot of B pictures here. Uh, the Falcon Out West, Go in the Town, The Falcon in Hollywood, First Yank in the Tokyo, The Boy with Green Hair, The Clay Pigeon, uh, The First Time, The Lone Hand, A Lion in the Streets, did a, did a little bit of Schlitz Playhouse, The Far Horizons, um, The Houston Story, uh, Seven Cavalry, The Oklahoman, The Oklahoman? Oklahoman. Thank you. Um, Desert Hell, Slim Carter. Yeah, then we get into Perry Mason in 1957. Um, she started in the 19... She was the lady in the 1968 Western uh, Buckskin with Barry Sullivan. Um, and then, of course, there were a slew of the Perry Mason movies oh, yeah. in the 80s where David Ogden Stiers uh, had a lose... Was the Washington Generals of... Uh, <laughs> Of uh, of I think it's there. Oh, also worked with Shatner in the giant spider invasion in night. Was that no? That was not Shatner. I take it back. Um, the giant spider invasion from nineteen seventy five. Always fun. And then um, was Mrs. Barlow in Big Wednesday? Everyone's favorite brooding surfer film with Gary Busey, Jan Michael Vincent, and William Capt. Her son. William Capt's her son. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. There you go. They, your pledge dollars at work right here. So, oh yeah, and of course she was um, Sarah Demarest in Airport. Oh yeah, yeah. Dean yeah. Martin's wife. Yep. So, there you go. So, so thank you, Barbara. And then we move over to Mike Connors. Mannix. Mannix. Or is one of my favorite bits. I've seen episodes of Mannix. I need to watch more of them. Uh, but one of my favorite regular riffs on Mystery Science Theater is when one guy is chasing another guy, and the the person who's chasing finally jumps on the back of the other guy and all the bots go Maddox. <laughs> it looks like the opening sequence. But um going back to Mike Connor stuff, uh again, a lot of a lot of B movies like Sky Commando. Apparently he was listed as Touch Connors for yeah, a while. That, that was Why his, is that? Uh because he, he used to play basketball in his youth and uh it was 
uh, a reference to his magical touch with the basketball. So Touch Connors was different name if you were in the seventies. Yes. <laughs> so um, let's see. Yeah, so, he grew out of that eventually. Thank God. But a lot of his early uh, uh, credits list him as Touch Connors. Yeah, Day of Triumph, uh, Five Guns West, uh, the, the Twinkling God's Eye. Uh, was in a film that was not only directed, I believe it was directed by Roger Corman, but also Mystery Science Theater fodder Swamp Women from 1956. Um, the Oklahoma Woman, Flesh and the Spur, and of course a slew of TV from the 50s and 60s, um, Live Fast, Die Young, um, and then yeah, by the by the late 60s, I forgot Tightrope, he was the, mm-hmm. the detective story, it's a uh, detective series, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Um, play oh gosh that's right he was in Harlow the 1965 biopic about Gene Harlow with Carol Baker mm-hmm. was in the 60s remake of Stagecoach um, Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die from 1966 uh, I believe that was an att- yeah that was a spoof of the spy films and uh, yeah and then Maddox for I forgot that thing was on for eight years yeah yeah had a good healthy run good run for him and then you know uh, appeared in uh, films like Night Kill Avalanche Express uh, films where his 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 picture is at the bottom of the poster in a little square and uh, today's FBI and and just kept he's one of those guys I can't even remember the last thing I saw him in but he worked up until. 2007 when he was in an episode of two and a half men yeah. so always working his, his original name was Crec- his birth name was Crecker or Ohanian he was our, from uh, from Armenian descent and he actually worked that name into a couple of his characters early on really yeah I, and I I swear I, I when I looked him up on IMDB earlier I was looking for a, a show must have been a pilot that he did uh, post Mannix uh where his character's name was the name of the show, and it was Ohanian. Oh, jeez. And, and I, I see no uh, evidence of it actually making it the series, but uh, I, I do remember the pilot. There you go. So we'll work on that. Thank you, Mike. And we got to talk about Mary. <sighs> I know. So before, so the, yeah, the big trivia was you know her. She got known in television for her voice, and mm-hmm. that came from uh, Richard Diamond, Private Eye. One of her early TV credits where you never saw her face, but you saw her legs and you heard her voice. And by the way, it was fun in a way. Yeah, men can be pigs on the internet, and so yeah, a lot of when she passed away, a lot of photos of her from the fifties and sixties. We yeah. we understand that. And and before that, she she did commercials. So if if you're a Ozzy and Harriet fan, she was Happy Hot Point in the Hot Point ads, wearing a devil suit. A yeah. skin tight devil suit. So if you you know, I, we're not saying she's the one that started the uh, the first. That was the first wave of the uh, trampy costumes for Halloween. But <laughs> she look look great on her. Oh yeah, not you and Broad Ripple on Halloween night. No. Sorry. So um, started in the uh, Cold War. I believe she was a wife of an astronaut in X fifteen back in nineteen sixty one. Um. When not working on the Dick Van Dyke show, well, actually, after the Dick Van Dyke show, I'm sorry, from 61 to 66, uh, not a lot of films, but some of note. Uh, the 1967 musical Thoroughly Modern Millie. Yep, that was supposed to be her big film debut. And uh, didn't do all that well financially, but it, but it's something we've watched in the house quite a bit. Of course, you have a musical with Mary Tyler Moore, Carol Channing, and Julie Andrews, yep. directed by George Roy Hill. Um the the kind of lightweight uh, 
romantic comedies Don't Just Stand There from 1968 with Robert Wagner. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also uh, What's So Bad About Feeling Good, which was her and George Papard. And an unintentionally hilarious drama, also known as Elvis Presley's final feature film, Change of Habits. She plays an, uh, one of three nuns that go undercover as nurses at a ghetto... In the ghetto, uh, in the ghetto of a doctor played by er, everyone's favorite ghetto doctor, Elvis. Elvis. So, <laughs> everyone's favorite swinging city doctor. Uh, and by the way, his film, his name in this, his title character, John Carpenter. Ooh. Yeah. So there's some there's the Elvis trivia, which we'll say for another time. So this is and it's shot on the Universal lot and it just God does it look like it and Ed Asner has a cameo as a police officer and this was the this was like one of those smaller budget looks at urban life according to the studios yeah you know there's there's a couple black they're not Black Panthers there's some other black organization that show up and there's you know the the two rapey uh, non American guys running around the streets and then there's the bizarre love triangle between Elvis who has feelings for the nurse who doesn't know she's a nun and God so <laughs> but but it's one of those it's uh, you know you could I, I always talk about the Elvis films that should be removed this is not one of them because it was not the it was slightly different than the swinging singing right. movies they did in the mid I mean, 60s yes he he does sing a couple of songs in it but it's not like he all he you know breaks out into songs no, with dance numbers. Yeah, and although songs. although he does have a jam session at his hospital. That's yes. weird. Anyway, so there is that, um, and of course the Mary Tyler Moore show. Now you have to remember. So she had already done Laura Petrie. She had mm-hmm. already done Mary Richards. Then there was a Mary Tyler Moore Hour in 1979, which only lasted a year, and then everybody was gobsmacked. In 1980, for her portrayal of Beth, the wife, and the mother in Ordinary People. Yep. Nobody saw this coming. No. Uh, I, I remember when I saw that movie for the first time, and you know when it first came out, and there was some buzz, but, you, you know, one, I was, I was more of a kid, so you know, I didn't really pay too much attention to it at the time. But, yes, her, her performance... It was unlike anything we'd seen her do to that point ever. Yeah, ever. And 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 quite honestly, I don't. It never came back. It never came close after that. And I mean, yeah. and, and and she. I mean, obviously, she still worked. And but but yeah, it was it. I, if we were to do a list of career changing films, um, or at least at least that moment of talk about reshaping yourself, mm-hmm. that that would do it. Um, and she and she landed a few more dramatic parts after that, and went to Broadway. And, and correct, uh, whose life is it anyway? And won a Tony oh, I for forgot that. She did that, yeah, yeah. But yeah, she wound up doing like well, there was the melodrama Six Weeks with Dudley Moore, and Just Between Friends. Um, you know, yeah, and she but, but she kind of went back and forth between stage, screen, and uh, yeah. and television. I mean, she never quite caught fire on television again after yeah. Ordinary People. I mean, she had she had more failed sitcoms than she had successes. Yeah, that's kind of folks don't bring that up. Yeah, uh, but uh, still, you know, America's sweetheart, and and you and even if she wasn't in something you liked, you liked her in it. Mm-hmm. And I guess it, it, as we heard, um, especially after her death, was that that the character of Beth was closer to her than say Mary or Laura, because to be a woman. Make, trying to make it in in the male driven show business world, and b- 
be having to be a perfectionist about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the very opening. I think the very first scene with her, or the second scene with her, with so, and here's your cast. Everybody got nominated but Sutherland, which is a shame. But yeah, yeah Donald Sutherland, young Timothy Hutton, who won an Oscar for his role, Judd Hirsch, um, young Elizabeth Lung, McGovern, Lung, Elizabeth McGovern, M. Emmett. Well, I mean, it's a solid, solid cast, and uh, her dumping the French toast down the sink. Mm-hmm. Because she does, you know, she's trying to maintain order in her house, especially after the fact that her son, you know, oldest son has died, youngest son is suicidal, marriage is going to hell in a handbag. And I remember I saw this in the theater. I was 10. And uh, I, I went to a lot of grown up movies with my parents. That explains a lot. But as I'm watching this, there's a part that thinks and it's gut wrenching. I remember crying during the, the, the scenes with Judd Hirsch and Timothy Hutton. And you keep thinking, at least I did in the back of my head, and I was I was ten. I I would love to and of course I'm asking older folks older than me, you you kept thinking, well maybe she'll get a change of heart or a change of habit. Yeah. You know, in, in by by the end of the film. And it never shows no. up. It never happens. And what a what a kick to the chest. Unreal. You know, and this is one of those Again, sorry, you know, if it weren't for Sissy Spacek, who won Best Actress that yeah. year. And again, that, that's apples and oranges. I'm a big Scorsese nut, and I think he should have won for Raging Bull, and I think Raging Bull's a masterpiece. I can't dismiss Ordinary People. No, I no. can dis- I can dismiss uh, Dance with Wolves winning over Goodfellas. It's really hard to dismiss Ordinary People. Ordinary People is one of those movies that, that haunted you after you, you saw it. Yep. And that you know, and and I still would have given best director to Scorsese over Robert Redford, but that's I mean that's an actor's that's right. an actor's film if there ever was one. Oh yeah, um, solid performance for Redford. But anyway, so so the fact that you know, from a guy's standpoint, we had the guy next door with the girl next door with Laura Petrie and Mary Richards, and then to just kind of go a complete opposite direction with a with a great performance in Ordinary People. Um, and I should also mention there was also guys got a little bit of something when she played the wife of George Siegel and the son, mother of Ben Stiller in Flirting with Disaster. Yep. We know you know the scene we're talking about. Um, and if you get a chance, I know it was a TV movie, but um, and she worked with Dick Van Dyke in various shapes or forms of variety shows. But they also did the Gin Game together, which is a great mm. two person play. Um, that has been done with the likes of Charles Durning. I believe, uh, I think it was Charles Durning and Julie Harris did the original Broadway run. Um, Mm -hmm. Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin did it together. I think, if I remember right, I think James Earl Jones and maybe Diane Carroll also did it. That sounds right. But uh, anyway, uh, great two-person show. But yeah, we miss Mary. Thank you. This may sound cold. I'm glad that she was able to hold on for a couple more weeks. Because if we had ended a, that crappy year of 2016 with Mary Tyler Moore's <sighs> death, people would have been suicidal. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think we have to, I, and I'm hope I'm sure somebody has already done the list of the worst years for celebrity deaths. Um, I, yes, 2016 is, I guess I'm kind of the same way of films. I, I know there are some years that are better than others for films, but I've, as I've always said, as long as you have Rembrandts and as long as you have dogs playing poker, you know, you have a yeah. solid year. There's always going to be people we love and adore, whose work we love and adore, who's going to die. Sure. And uh, But, yeah, I, I think from a high-profile standpoint, 2016 was pretty hard. I'm sure there are other years where it was just as bad, but I, I really don't want to be the one that compiles that list. I'm sure yeah. there are basement dwellers that are doing that for us on the Internet. Good for you. So. Mm-hmm. 
So have you have you watched anything else lately of uh, of of note, old, new, or indifferent? Um, let's see. Well, uh, TV wise, yes, I, I'm I'm uh, now on to Luke Cage on Netflix. Any good? Uh, yes, it is actually. Uh, started with uh, Jessica Jones and then went to the two seasons of Daredevil, and now I'm on Luke Cage. So I'm hoping to get caught up before Iron Fist and the Defenders come out. You're you're able to do that. I can't do that. So I have to give you props for the, it was we we just I, I just was watching uh the last season of South Park and they had a mm-hmm. trailer for the uh the franchise video game and they're making fun <laughs> of we have phase 1, phase 2, phase 3 and then it turns into an argument between Marvel versus DC. Oh yeah. So yeah. do you have a chart at home? I don't have a chart at home. It's all in your head. Yeah. Uh, growing up, I was a big DC guy, but I'll tell you, uh, I w- Daredevil is the type of comic book TV series that I wish Gotham was. Okay. Because uh, the uh, in, in the Marvel universe they've set up here, these guys could exist in real life. They just happen to have some superpower, but it, it, it's not the driving force of the story. It's still a crime story in each of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm anxious to, to see them all come together and, and kick some butt in Hell's Kitchen. Does does the series Daredevil make up for the film? Yes. Did you see? Was there a director's cut of the film of Daredevil? Yes, I or, have it at home. Did, did it help? No. Really? No, no. It's just more of what you don't like about Daredevil. Okay. Um, going back to the film a little bit. Um, did you watch the director's cut of the now Academy Award nominated Suicide Squad? <laughs> no, I haven't seen the director's cut of that yet. Okay. Did you see the director's cut of Batman versus Superman? Yes. Does it help? Yes. Does it really? Yes, the director's cut does improve on the theatrical. Okay. Is it is are the are the scenes included or it's not it's not like a separate feature of No, no. The, the, it's, the, it's, it's, it's it. incorporated. You can see it both ways in the collection I have. You can get the the, the theatrical and the director's cut. And Yes, they added so much stuff uh, in in the director's cut that explains stuff you had questions about in the movie. And it's almost three hours long. And it is almost three hours long, so, you know, get comfortable and find a couch. I wouldn't go to a I, – I didn't go see the theatrical in the theater. Or, I mean, the, uh, the director's the, cut in the theater. Did they release it in the theater? I don't think they did. Okay. But uh, I wouldn't because it's three hours long. But uh, Is there more Gal Gadot? Yes, there is. Gal yes. Gadot. Okay. Yeah. Well, besides that, okay, if it explains it, I might give it a shot. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the director's cut more than the theatrical, and I, and I rarely say that, because uh-huh. usually your director's cut that, There's it, a reason that, why that isn't cut. Blade Runner. There's a reason that they took the stuff out. I also have, I, and I haven't watched the director's cut of it yet, but I still have the director's cut of That Thing You Do. Oh, really? Yeah, I had, I had introduced that to uh, to Emma um, a couple weeks ago, she she we went on a Tom Hanks kick because we had we finally watched Sully, and I decided my daughter's old enough. I showed her Bachelor Party, hashtag Family Values, and uh, <laughs> and and then I I told her you had to see that thing you do, and she absolutely loved it. And and uh, I know on the DVD I have, yeah, I still have disc. Don't judge, but um, but yeah, there there is a director's cut on it, and I like the film enough. I might have to sit down. This is what I do on Sunday mornings when my family's sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I all right, I will I will consider Batman versus Superman hard hitting updated <laughs> for a film that's been out on video for months. Yeah, that's what you sometimes get here at Film Sociology. I mean, yeah, it's still over the top in places, 
But it's not uh, going to correct the stuff that's wrong with it. It, it, it doesn't with. correct the stuff that's wrong, but it does help explain some of the stuff that's wrong. So if that makes any sense. Sure. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, because it's at IU Cinema, and because it's the end of the show. Words to live by. Silent Green is people. Zardoz has spoken. Mike Perry, always a pleasure. Thank you, Matt, for having me. I'm going to go off to breakfast now and get me some Soylent Green eggs and ham. <laughs> go see a good movie. You deserve it. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, Michigan. No. That's not what I said. No, no. you just go see that in the theater. You laugh about it, and you go home.